Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Lester Rojas, anchor with Univision 32, Boyd Matheson, opinion editor with the Deseret News, and Mara Carabello, president of the Exoro Group. Thank you all for being with us. This is so good to talk about <laughs> politics uh, because a lot's been happening uh, in the country. Uh, and I want to get right into the conventions. We just had the Democratic National Convention. We just finished the Republican National Convention. Uh, Boyd, let's start with you. Um, take key takeaways from the Republicans uh, right now, because I want to compare the two in a moment. The Republican National Convention, key takeaways. So I think probably the uh, the biggest takeaway for the Republicans were they, you know, they, they learned some from, from the Democrats. The Democrats did do a, a great job in terms of rolling that out, really tough scenario. Uh, giving speeches in you know rooms with no people in it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the uh, regular red meat applause lines just fall a little flat when you don't have an audience. Hard. So I think that one of the good things that came out of it was it did force them to focus more on policy and principle uh, as opposed to a lot of just the divisive things. Uh, what the country doesn't need right now is Republicans talking about Joe Biden's gaffe or the Democrats talking about the president's tweets. Uh, we have some serious things to do in the nation. And so I, I think this new format uh, will actually be something that will impact future conventions in terms of how do we actually go about this? How do we make our case, our positive case to the American people? Yeah, Mara, it was very interesting to see that because some of these speeches came from from home states. You know, the Democrats, we had Jenny Wilson in front of the Capitol. We even had our delegation that went to talk about the state of Utah. Do you think that's where this goes in the future? That we're able no, to incorporate? I think it doesn't stay there because uh, politicians love audience response. But I will say, I hope it stays a little bit because the dimensions the boys brought about, you heard some seriousness or or and and you could even hear in a way that uh, you often don't yeah. in the convention and conventions are traditionally about rousing rallying for the stretch of the the bare knuckle part of politic and there were certainly some of of that I was struck um, in my mind um, we'll so I'll start with common ground that was a, an amazing fireworks show oh my I was struck though that if, if, if one were to ask me what the theme for the Republican uh, convention was. I think I would struggle a little. I think the theme was Joe Biden. And what is interesting, and I do think there was some some maybe deeper criticism than just red meat. But what's interesting about that is that the incumbent president chose that Joe Biden was the theme. And that's not a traditional incumbent point of view, right? So I think there's a half a dozen and sixes. One could say that that is troubling for the Trump uh, camp, that they felt like they uh, needed to fight it out, that, that in some ways maybe Biden had the uh, advantage. I think on the other hand, anyone who's followed Trump's career would note that that's the position he likes to be in. Uh -huh. He may have even intentionally, his advisors may have even intentionally put himself as the outsider again. Um, but yeah. I did notice the theme, if I had to pick a theme, it was it was Biden. And I think part of that is the, the age old question now, are you better off? Yeah. 
We're not, yeah. but the question is, who do we blame for it, right? Because uh, it's a complex issue of not being better off right now yeah. in America. And, and, who, and who will lead it forward, I think, is the other question that, that comes out of both conventions, is uh, the American people know what everyone's against. Uh, and so I think the, the, the point of uh, yeah. President Trump is a counterpuncher, uh, so he right. clearly played to that. Uh, he gave a speech that was 70 minutes long, uh, you know, 40 references to Joe Biden, um, but that's kind of his, he, he feels like he has to be in a counterpuncher position uh, so that's kind of a, an interesting framing but what I'm convinced what the American people want and what we're going to see between now and the first Tuesday of November is the American people want to know okay we I get what you're against uh, but if you can't yeah. tell me what you're for uh, and I think that's where the Republicans did struggle they did not have a clear message in terms of here's here's what we're for and here's where we're going Very and interesting. why. Uh, Lester let's take your uh, your view into these two compare and contrast the two with the themes and maybe to what Boyd and Mara were just talking about too the themes about what they're for, what we're going to see over the next couple of months. Hi, Jason. Sorry, it's a little bit of sound problems, but I, I got the sense of your question. So I guess, I, I believe this is what's a good intention for Donald Trump. Uh, he did um, showcase his accomplishments to, through this uh, four years, almost four years on his administration. I think I, I agree with, with our fellow speaker that um, uh, the 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 team wants Joe Biden, but he he showcased he highlighted all his accomplishments, which I guess was appealing to to his uh, supporters. Now on the Democrats, uh, yes, they have to uh, fight Donald Trump. I guess the sense that I uh, got from the Democratic uh, convention is that they are obsessed to defeat Donald Trump while I guess the, the plan wasn't laid out as, as, as beautiful or as correct as other uh, commissions in the past. So I, I believe uh, Donald Trump took advantage of his moment. He did throw some punches to uh, Joe Biden, but in the Democratic side, I guess uh, they have to be a little bit careful with their words in not having Donald Trump as their enemy. Otherwise, they will lose, I guess, support. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about these speakers for a second, because it's just so interesting. Uh, I want first about the format, because you both talked about this, Lester did too. So it's hard. In, in the old days, you would have a convention, and wow, some rising star. I mean, that was just a great speech. They fed on the energy of the room yeah. and say, wow, that's the future of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Did that happen? Is it possible in this format? Uh, you know, I, I think the I think the winner. If you took both conventions and said who who won from a speak from the speaker, take the you know take the partisan out of it. Who was the best speech? I think it was Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, I think she owned her moment. She met her moment, and she delivered a speech that even though it was to an empty room, uh, she delivered it as if she was in your living room. I yeah. thought she did an extraordinary job. So I think she won in terms of you know kind of rising star meeting the moment. Uh, to me, that was the best speech of the of the both conventions. Uh -huh. Yeah, interestingly, I agree. And and part of it, too, was the, the Democrats ended up perhaps having an advantage in that we were all interested in the format. Yeah, and right, I think the yeah. Republicans learned from it, but we had all been like, okay, now we, now we now have what? seen an <laughs> yeah. online convention. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we had a couple of Utah speakers. We, let's talk about those for just a second. So, so Lester, uh, Sean Reyes had a chance to speak uh, just last night, uh, too. How significant it is it that we have Sean Reyes and we also had Burgess Owens? I want to talk about both of those, but how significant that we have two Utahns on that national stage? 
Well, this is something that we have seen over the past years, that Utah cannot be a flyover state anymore. Bringing on uh, Sean Reyes to the stage, it means, uh, I mean, Sean Reyes, we know Sean Reyes is known as the human trafficking prosecutor. He wants to defeat, to stop, to protect victims, and this is something that Donald Trump has uh, facilitated his administration to help out, to bring a hand to uh, Sean Reyes. Now, Burgess, uh, he is some someone that uh, we know since the beginning that the Ford district is a toss-up. Uh, we saw with McAdams and Mia Love. So bringing uh, Burgess to the convention is something that Donald Trump wants to uh, highlight as a Utah. They need to uh, take control back from from Congress uh, on the, the delegation. And he, this means a lot of support to back up Burgess onto this uh, upcoming election. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, as, I, as I said at the beginning, Utah cannot be a flyover state anymore. And Donald Trump wants to bring this to attention or national attention. Mm -hmm. So, boy, both these both these individuals, our Attorney General Sean Reyes and Burgess Owens, both have been very, very close to Donald Trump. Uh, President Trump, of course, endorsed Sean Reyes also. Um, let's talk about the Burgess Owens part right here. Uh, people were talking about how there's, this had a, a little bit of a, a, a going back to Mia Love when she spoke in 2012 to the GOP con convention. What's interesting is both of them from Utah, both of them were not even elected officials. They were just candidates right. at the time when they did this. How significant is this in his speech? You know, it, it's a really interesting moment. I was, uh, of course, behind the scenes a little bit with the Mia Love speech in yeah. 2012, and so I got to see that from the from the backside, uh, which was really interesting. And so it is a, a moment. Again, I think uh, Mia's moment was a little more significant because, again, it was a live convention. It was one of those surprising moments. Nobody really knew what to expect. Um, this one's a little harder. Uh, one of the things, going back to tomorrow's point, in terms of conventions will come back, and a lot of that is because of connections and fundraising. Uh, and I think where Mia benefited the most was just a, this initial rush uh, response to that speech and the fundraising they were able to do off of it was significant. I don't see Burgess Owen getting that kind of bounce in so terms of fundraising. For sure, in my mind, this was a nod from the RNC to some candidates they want to boost. Yeah. I mean, there there sure. is strategy in this certainly, and I and I do think it's it's sort of maybe not a nod to the importance of Utah, but rather the the redness of Utah, the the assurance of a Republican state. And Owens is an untested candidate, and Owens um, and McAdams are going to have both of their parties focus and support. And so it's a positioning for fundraising. It's a positioning yeah. that he has something to tout. There's a question in Utah, I think still, about whether touting your relationship to Donald Trump is good or bad. I think that's untested. And I think we're a little more complex in our relationship with Donald mm -hmm. Trump. And I will say, thank goodness. And and uh, I do think for Sean, it was probably um, a reward of, uh, of some respect. And and. Thank goodness Utah is bringing that level of diversity and interest from the Republican Party in an area that the Republicans have traditionally struggled with. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is not without some controversy coming right after this, right? So Burgess Owen gets put in the crosshairs already, some locally, but uh, nationally too. Talk about that, Boyd. Yeah, so uh, obviously there's some some criticism out there. The the his book and what was footnoted in his book. Uh, a lot of those things, uh, I, I think we have to be careful of. Uh, Tamara's point earlier. This this is a big race. The fourth district is always going to be close in Utah. It just is the makeup of the district, uh, and so there's always going to be a lot of outside attention. Uh, and we saw this with groups from the extreme right attacking Jim Matheson and then uh, Doug Owen and and forward. And then you see the same thing from the left. You know, attacking Mia and 
then uh, Burgess. And, and so I think one of the things we have to be careful of uh, is when candidates start to immediately jump on uh, to whatever, you know, some outside group with a, you know, deep pockets and, uh, and, a, and a clear agenda, start throwing things out. I, I think one of the things we have to do if we want Utah to continue to be a, a place where we can say, hey, we can have conversations about principles and policies, and we trust the people to make the right decisions. This is one of those where I think campaign finance reform uh, is a good thing. It's so easy for a candidate, I don't care if they're left or right, it's so easy for them to say, well, hey, that's a super PAC, I, you know, I can't do so anything. I, I will they say, don't. sourcing <laughs> reigns supreme. My answer to everything in modern politics is, where's the source? Where, What's yeah. the source? So completely agreed on that. But vetting a candidate who we know very yeah. little about, who did not get a big vetting in the uh, primary, yeah. and someone who does have a, a lot to unpack in history, and we don't sure. know him. Yeah. I mean, vetting and so I, I think vetting has to happen, and I think your personal behavior is a part of vetting. And I'll also just, and you know, with this section, with like, there is no whining in baseball. And so one of the things <laughs> I'm going to ask the candidates yeah. is, you got into this to play in the big leagues, yeah. and and focus on your agenda and focus on putting forth things and, and yeah. the whining maybe and, and needs I, to stop a little. Yeah, and I, I agree with Mara completely. If you're, uh, if you're complaining about the rules or the referees, you're probably <laughs> losing. Right. Uh, I think the thing we have to be cautious of is how quickly do you then start to fundraise off of sure. that vetting. Exactly. And, and I think that's where we get into the mudslinging and people throwing things up against the wall. And I think that's the challenge. Yeah. Well, uh, before we leave the convention, Lester, I'm curious what you're hearing. I know you're interviewing lots of folks uh, throughout the state of Utah. How are these two conventions received by Utahns. Are they more engaged now? Did anyone watch besides the three of us? <laughs> this is something really, really um, that amazed me in Utah. Utah has been a state that has in the past challenged uh, their, their political the political agendas, uh, meaning the Republican Party. We heard, we learned, and we saw in the in 2016 election that people rise against Donald Trump. And also there were other uh, faithful uh, supporters that stick with uh, Donald Trump's agenda. So I guess this is something that, uh, as I said, uh, it amazed me in Utah that many people have crossed party lines. Uh, some, someone are tired of the Republican Party. Someone are tired to be a Democrat. Uh, they, they, fail, they fail that uh, Hillary Clinton wasn't representing themselves, uh, Utah, once now a new candidate. So what I've seen is that people are reacting in both ways. It's, it's still at the toss up. There is no question that perhaps Utah will win, uh, Republicans will win on Utah, but uh, it feels like uh, they are, uh, they're happy with what they've seen with Donald Trump. It seems like this is something that they want to go forward to four more years. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden is someone that uh, people say that this is another four years of Obama. They will see four more years of Obama, Obama administration that uh, is just walking on Obama's shadow. So it's something that it could change any any point. Mm -hmm. So, can I get just a, a quick jump, kind of as we wrap that uh, up in terms of the convention? Some really interesting polling uh, came out over the weekend uh, that actually found what all Americans agree on. Ninety-two percent of Americans believe that our leaders should be focused on issues that unite the country. Now, you can't get Americans to ninety-two percent of them to agree on anything. But the really fascinating thing to me was that seventy-one percent of Americans believe that the thing that will unite the nation 
nation is focusing on our founding principles, so equality, justice, freedom, opportunity. And there's this interesting group from the national perspective, uh, we call them the movable middle. <clears throat> and these are not independents, these are either registered Democrats or registered Republicans who have sort of disconnected from the process because they're exhausted by the extremes of both sides. And the interesting thing to me is that because they've disconnected, uh, the only thing that they're interested in engaging on, reconnecting with the political process, is community, mm -hmm. compassion, self-reliance, and opportunity, that upward mobility, which of course we do really well in the state of Utah. And so Utah has kind of an interesting model. I think whichever side of the uh, aisle really understands that group, it's about 21% of likely voters who are kind of in this interesting space this year. Uh, they're, they're looking for it, they're interested in it. Uh, the one thing I think both parties failed, both parties went really hard onto this is the most important election of our lifetime, uh, which of course it is, uh, it's the only one we have. So every election is the most important. The thing that, again, both parties did this, Joe Biden did this, uh, Donald Trump did this as well, uh, talking about this is a battle for the heart and soul of the nation. Uh, and I, I just reject that as a principle because to accept that, you're saying that the heart and soul of America is found in the West Wing of the White House or in the halls of Congress, and it's not. The heart and soul of America is only found in the heart and soul of the American people. And whichever party talks to that uh, is gonna have the advantage come November. One more point that's probably not on your list, but we have, in my mind, three excellent representatives who are forging their own path, who, who are staying true to their convictions and yet making their own independent decisions. And it's Mitt Romney in my mind, it's John Curtis. John Curtis won the week for me with his um, statements about climate change <laughs> coming from a conservative, uh, ideologically conservative position on, on climate change was smart. He did what I want every elected official to do, which is have specificity and direction. And then I think Ben McAdams, who who breaks from his party all the time. So I like that in the Utah format, it's interesting about whether Utahns are approving about those independent yeah. thinkers or not. Hmm. Well, can we talk about something that doesn't have much uniformity of opinion? <laughs> can we talk about masks for just a moment? Because we, we need to get into what just happened in, in Utah County in Provo in particular, because that is sort of a microcosm of what we're seeing around the country and other parts of the state. Uh, Let Lester, I know, I know you are watching this. So the city council, the Provo City Council, uh, had p voted on a mandate for masks uh, in, in here in Utah County in Provo. And uh, the mayor, Mayor Kafusi, vetoed that order. And they immediately got together and they overrode her on, on that. Lester, how significant is that? This is very important, significant, because this speaks for not only uh, the city council or the mayor, but, but all the city. Um, people understand that we live in a, in a, in a world where we are, um, uh, the government invites us to be secure, like our seat belts. Uh, we have insurance in our cars. We have a registered uh, car. We have a license. Uh, we, this is not about control. This is something about public health, and it is proven. Several stu several studies shows that the use of the mask is something that will benefit the, the health, the public health. So, what city council did, I guess, it was just uh, representing what some people or the majority have thought of of a mask is a good thing for the health. Uh, I know there have been some parents and there have been some students that they oppose to wear the mask, but I guess city council has spoken for the city and not only a decision for one person, the mayor Kafusi. Uh, it surprised me that mayor Kafusi uh, didn't want to uh, 
to mandate that uh, mask usage, but I guess this is something that we'll see, it will reflect in future uh, decisions of public health and people now can rely on city council they will take I guess the right decision. Okay so boy this is interesting because th this little microcosm as I was calling here transcends political party and this is a pretty conservative part of the state uh, Republican mayor and uh, Mayor Kafusi right here and you know th this was something that went along something beyond party lines. Yeah, and I think that's uh, part of where we are in terms of the pandemic is people are just trying to look at, okay, what actually will make a difference? How do we actually have that conversation? Uh, and I think the, the interesting thing for me is to just watch people's behavior begin to change. Uh, and we have seen that, even in Utah County where they haven't had the mandate. Uh, everywhere I've gone down there, people have been wearing their masks and businesses yeah. are, are doing their thing. So uh, I think that's an interesting part of it. I also think it's interesting, uh, of course, because that affects a, a college campus. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a really interesting thing across the country as college students have started to go back. Uh, Christian Sagers wrote a beautiful piece on now we want our college students to behave like adults and we've we've coddled them in so many ways mm -hmm. and then suddenly we're saying well no now we need you to act like an adult and, and be an adult. If there's a horrible time to have a mass pandemic it's in an election year. It's, it's in a, during uh, a presidential uh -huh. election year yeah. right because the politicians are getting this wrong. We have yeah. students saying hey listen here's the health care advice we should follow it. We have yeah. council we have groups, we have citizens, You every poll you look at, regardless of the sample, says, yeah, we get it. Uh, the science is becoming more and more readily available and prevalent for us. And then you've got these politicians who are deciding to make these stands for freedom. And as well said at the start of this segment, this is not where you plant your freedom So, flag. So why then? So what, I, mean, you, I, mean, I know you're second guessing this, so why is, why is that the case? So Mayor Kafusi knew the city council was going to do this. They said, if you do this, we'll, we'll meet immediately. So we're what, using what? it as a rallying cry. We're using it as a symbol for things it does not symbolize. And we're using it um, in a political way. And mm -hmm. it has no grounds and no business. And I struggle between analyzing it and wanting to ignore the politicians who want to take a health problem and turn it into a political problem. Uh -huh. Let's talk about uh, an issue which we are all talking about as a state and as a country that we just really need to uh, dive into for just a moment. Uh, some of these, uh, the, some of the protests, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement that we're talking about, it's impacted us all in, in some way, which I'm glad we're talking about so much, but Utah has been part of this dialogue, uh, locally, uh, particularly Boyd. So we're seeing this uh, with Utah Jazz, uh, certainly Donovan Mitchell taking a big, play, uh, big, big role in this discussion, but we also saw this play out just uh, yesterday uh, with Real Salt Lake. Yeah, you know, to me, this is one of those where let's let's get to the crucial conversation. I think Mara nailed it in terms of let's not take a crucial conversation and just plant it as a political flag. Uh, that's the wrong thing. I think a lot of the players using this their platform, their leverage uh, to raise it. I think that's a great thing. Let's make sure we transcend that though, and make yeah. sure we get down to the the policy. I think one of the real challenges is an issue of trust. Uh, there's always been this uh, little bit of distrust in terms of of government, uh, but now we need to make sure we've got transparency and accountability and then trust is the natural byproduct of that and so being willing to have those uncomfortable conversations and leaning into those uh, to me is the the critical point I, I George W Bush uh, at the NAACP convention years ago uh, he, he made a great point he said look we cannot be judged about what we did or didn't do in the past it's what we do today and so let's have that conversation there's obviously a host of things we could spend hours on in terms of what those crucial conversations look like but I think for all of us we have to get comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation and the, the attention to me is a good thing. I
I, as I was watching, as I was watching the coverage with um, Real Salt Lake and, and Deloy Hansen and Donovan Mitchell and the other voices. Can we talk about what that was, though? Right. So, so as you know, well, I'll let you frame it up. Well, Real Salt Lake had a game planned, right. and uh, the, the the players uh, decided not to play in that game in solidarity, joining what was happening in the NBA. And Deloy Hansen, the owner of the team, felt that it was a little bit of an affront to him that they decided to do this instead of. The and the NHL and the NBA players have made similar situations. And I was listening to Deloy's comments that were coming from a very personal place, clearly, yeah. and lacked. And and I I was reminded of something my daughter's school principal uh, has a motto that. He, he teaches all the children. He, he wants them to learn. And the question he asks them to incorporate are, at what cost, for what purpose? And I, and I was listening to this discussion, and I clearly Deloy, uh, his calculus on Atwas Glass was a little too personal. And, and I think the question there is, at what cost to society, and for what purpose? And, and that's when I look at, at the Black Lives Matter movement and saying, what is our purpose and at what cost? And I think we've realized the cost is too high for racism. Um, it always has been. And for me, it, it remains critical. It is an interesting question about who's laying voice to this and should entertainers and sports figures lay voice? Well, I say, well, we've elevated them in our community and our society. And I also think that it indicates there's also a leadership vacuum at the elected level. Yeah, L Lester, talk about these conversations. Are they happening? Are they hitting the mark? Are, are people carrying this forward? Uh, certainly solidarity with these players, but we as a country as, and as a state as well. I uh, Thinking about this, I think back to what this 49ers quarterback did, kneeling during, during the national anthem. Uh, first, he was criticized because he kneeled during the during this national anthem then this uh these events start happening protest and then uh i guess people realized that it was something that they should have supported since the beginning now that these athletes are doing this brings a really huge message i actually interviewed lex scott from black lives matter utah and what she said is that it is amazing that conservative state like Utah uh, and Republicans have spoken out uh, in favor of this movement, in favor of um, a social change and, and criminal justice system and, and policing. And she said that this is a good thing that Utah has had this conversation. Now, going back to the athletes, they have a platform that they want to use. They know they can influence the community and, and send a clear message. So they're taking what Cole Kaepernick did with the 49ers now to this point, to the stage. We know LeBron James, we know Donovan Mitchell, we know the Russell Lake. Uh, many have a powerful voice to to send this clear message that they're tired. Um, so I guess this is the, a good chance, a good movement, a good momentum for the people to raise their voice and athletes have the, the right to do so. Yeah, well, we're going to tag oh, that for the last. That don't last. say that they cannot do this during pandemic time. Yeah. Thank you, Lester. That's going to be the last word on this. This is a conversation so worth having, a conversation worth continuing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.